Hi everybody, it's Dr. Sandy Kramers again on episode four of our podcast, The EYE Show. And today we're gonna talk about dry eye a bit related to cataract surgery and all kinds of surgery. And so any of you that are thinking of having surgery wanna ask some basic questions. What do you need to know before you have any eye surgery? Things have changed in the last few years so we have a better understanding how to have a better outcome even with cataract surgery. Cataract surgery is the most commonly performed surgery in the world. There's about 3 million cases a year and we want patients to have a good outcome. That usually means 20-20 vision in both eyes without having any type of foreign body sensation or discomfort. And so what can you do? So let's say you're thinking about having cataract surgery or you have a loved one that has cataract surgery. What is a cataract? What can you do to kind of help your loved one have a really good outcome? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So with any eye surgery, the number one complaint after eye, any surgery or any, any eye surgery is pain. Of course, you have pain. And the reason why you have some pain is because we've cut nerves and we've created inflammation and in the previous podcast we talked about how to decrease inflammation in general and this time when we actually touch your tissues we want to minimize the trauma to the nerves and to the tissues and so let's talk a little bit about the eyeball here and talk about what where are the nerves and what we're doing so this is an example of an eyeball those that are on the podcast can can hear that i'm kind of describing what an eyeball looks like there's the front surface called the cornea and the cornea is filled with a lot of very special nerves in the body most nerves have insulation so if we look at the back part of the eye which is like the uh, television cable that connects your tv to the cable there is the optic nerve and that optic nerve has an insulation which is usually schwann cells and these special cells are in charge of allowing electrical impulses to go very quickly from what you see in the world to the brain or if it's a peripheral nerve let's say in your fingers if i touch a hot stove my schwann cells of my peripheral nerves will send the signal immediately to my brain so i retract my hand so i don't hurt myself and those are very important but in the cornea there are no myelinated nerve tissue in other words there's no insulation around the nerves so when we when we cut the nerves there can be sometimes a little bit of an abnormal reaction in terms of constant pain and we don't want that so we want the corneal nerves to basically regenerate very quickly and so we know the younger you are the better the nerves will re regenerate and there's been many studies and papers on this in the last few years of how quickly can you regenerate a nerve I've had, i get this question asked a lot you all know that if you break your spinal cord the chance of you walking again is very low but if you cut your nerve of your finger, the peripheral nerves, actually it can grow back. And the same thing with the corneal nerves. Most peripheral nerves grow about one millimeter per month. And with the, the corneal cells, we know that sometimes it's probably a little bit faster, but it can still take a little bit of time for the discomfort to go away. So let's say you have LASIK, which is refractive surgery. And what we do in LASIK is we literally cut the corneal nerves, the cornea, we create a little flap. So let's say this is the cornea. So imagine like there's a little kind of window. We cut into the window a bit, make a little flap in the window, apply a laser to shape the cornea and put the flap back down. That's very commonly performed. Millions of patients have that every year. The majority of patients do great. 
but there's a small percentage of patients that don't do well and they continue to have foreign body sensation and sometimes chronic pain. And the same th thing is true with cataract surgery. The majority of patients do great. The initial pain goes away, but in some patients, they still feel discomfort after the cataract surgery, no matter what the cataract surgeon does. And often it's not the cataract surgeon's fault or it's not the surgeon's fault. They're being set up to kind of, the patient's being set up to have this constant pain because of factors that sometimes we can't see on our all the technology we have. So I'm gonna go through some of those factors and what you can do to help with it. So here's the eye, the cornea. The lens of the eye is kind of like a lens of an old type of camera, looks like this, and it should be clear so you can see through it. And what happens as we get older, because of UV exposure, genetics, aging, trauma, inflammation, uh, somebody that has, let's say, a history of uh, rheumatoid arthritis or juvenile rheumatoid arthritis or has had to use steroids or an asthma patient that's had to use steroids uh, or a patient that has just general uh, diabetes or blood sugar changes, the lens will start to turn kind of white. So cataracta is waterfall in Spanish or in Latin, and it just means like it's white. So you literally see the, pro the, the actual protein of the lens change under the microscope from clear to white. And if you don't do anything about it, it will actually become brown like this, even black. So we've, I've seen a many black cataracts in my life, and those patients have waited way too long and it makes the surgery very difficult. It's interesting because in China, when I was at Harvard, there was a couple of patients I saw who had a couching procedure. And a couching procedure, which is still done in China, is where you take the cataract, it's usually very, very dense. There's a, obviously a, a lack of surgeons in China. There's so many patients there that need cataract surgery. And what they do is they take a needle, they go straight through the cornea, and they push the lens into the back of the eye, just like that. And the patient can see enough to get by. Obviously, they're not gonna drive but there's, no, there's nothing there, that's it. They just push it back into the eye. So when they come to the United States, we have to try to repair, uh, obviously that take out the cataract and put an implant in, but that's still happening because cataract is the number one cause of blindness in the world because there's just not enough cataract surgeons in many parts of the world. So that's what a cataract is. So when we take out a cataract, we compare it, or I compare it for my patients, of taking out a pillow out of its pillowcase. And so these, this lens, you can kind of see in this one on the, on the video, uh, you can see it. And, and for my patients, I'm just showing an example of a lens where there is a covering around the central nucleus of the lens. And the nucleus is the hard part of the lens. And the longer patients wait to have cataract surgery, the harder the nucleus gets. It can get to the point that it's literally like a rock. And it's very difficult to take out. So for a surgeon and for the patients, once the vision is no better than 2040, we recommend cataract surgery because there's really no reason to wait in terms of safety profile. The sooner you have it done, the easier it's gonna be, the faster the recovery. So years ago, we only had one choice to remove the cataract. Well, technically two, but the, the first option, the one that uh, patient uh, doctors used to do would be basically called intracapsular cataract surgery where they just yank, they make a big incision in the cornea, they just yank the whole lens out, they rip everything out, and there's a lot of complications. So you might have heard of your grandparents or great-grandparents needing sandbags on each side of their head so they wouldn't move. Uh, I heard of those stories when I was a resident, so, but it was, I think I saw two intracaps in my entire life, so it's very rare. Then there was the extra cap where we actually cut open the top part of the pillowcase and then yank out the nucleus, also very traumatic, also a lot of complications. 
Now we have surgery that's very refined, uh, which is called intracapsular cataract surgery. And now there's even a, a state-of-the-art technology called femtosecond laser-assisted cataract surgery, or FLAX for short. But femtosecond is a very fast laser that allows us to cut open the front part of the pillowcase or the capsule, cut the pillow or cataract into multiple little pieces while maintaining the back part of the pillowcase or what's called the posterior capsule intact. And it is incredible surgery. It's been a big game changer because it generally means that the chance of a complication is very close to zero. We cannot guarantee that. But in most surgeon hands, surgeons' hands, including my own, it's been zero complication of cataract surgery. So we're very excited about it. And even though those studies have not shown that the recovery over the long term is much different, most patients post-op day one, the first day after surgery, the cornea is clearer, the front surface. And the reason, and their vision's better. And the reason is because that femtosecond laser allows us to use less energy to pull out the cataract. So with cataract surgery, we have to use a machine called the phaco emulsification unit, which is an ultrasound machine. And that allows us to kind of pulsate the cataract or the, the kind of the rock, the pillow, into many little pieces to be able to suck it out of a 2.4 or 2.5 millimeter incision. So this is very small. We're doing this under a microscope. And so we make a very small incision. We put in a, a little instrument called a phaco emulsification uh, handpiece. The ultrasound you know, breaks it up into pieces, we suck it out. So the femtosecond laser is a separate machine. We go into one room. The, the laser is very big and basically it allows, applies the laser, cuts it into pieces, and then we go into an operating room to actually suck it out with the phaco emulsification unit. So the femtosecond laser has been a game changer and it allows us to basically decrease the total phaco emulsification energy needed, which makes the cornea clearer. Still though, we have to make a little incision in the cornea, and we usually make two tiny incisions. And so in some patients, that doesn't bother them too much. They might feel a little bit of foreign body sensation. And in other patients, it can become a big problem. So the number one complaint after cataract surgery, initially, or any surgery, is pain, of course, like we said. But over time, the number one complaint after cataract surgery is usually foreign body sensation or irritation. And that is usually related to the quality of the nerves, how quickly the nerves have regenerated. And we know that's directly related to the meibomian glands to some extent. We know that that oil that comes out of the glands is very crucial to allow the, the cells of the cornea to heal and to allow the orifice of the meibomian glands to not feel kind of like there's scar tissue and there's irritation there. So what we do now, and there's been some papers to indicate that this is needed, is we do a mybography on every patient before any eye surgery. And this is what I recommend. So if you have a loved one that's thinking of having an eye surgery of any sort, be sure to get a mybography. It's going to give you information. In, in, in eye surgery, we always, or in any surgery, we kind of joke that if you don't mention the complication to a patient or the risk before the surgery and they have a problem, then it's the, the surgeon's issue, the surgeon's problem. 
if you mention there's a risk before the surgery, obviously it's the patient's concern, patient's problem. So you wanna tell patients what their risks are. So if I have a patient that has perfect meibomian glands, in my experience, they tend to recover a little bit faster. If I have a patient that has very few or no meibomian glands, I know that they're gonna have a little bit more of a rougher road after the surgery and I tell them, you might need artificial tears more after the procedure, you might need to use the xydrostasis or sequa to help with the inflammation that happens because the buffer of the oil is not present to help you heal faster. Or you may need a biologic, your own serum or platelets, or you may need amniotic membrane. We know that that oil is crucial to help decrease inflammation. And that is also true in LASIK, PRK, any refractive surgery. That's true in corneal transplants, even eye muscle surgery, any type of plastic surgery. Those meibomian glands are crucial for the eye to recover. So it's important with any type of eye surgery to know what the meibomian glands look like and follow them over time. So that way you'll kind of be able to heal. And so another word about cataract surgery, and I want to kind of, this kind of goes also into what else you can do for your loved ones. Uh, many years ago, we only had one choice for the implant. So when we take out the cataract, we basically replace the pillow with a new pillow, which is clear, or the lens. And the way these tiny little implants look, I'll kind of show those on the video here. There's now these kind of implants with a circular, what's called optic, which gives the light, goes through that center piece. And there these little arms inside that implant or on the implant that hold it into place. These are called the haptics. So the optic and the haptics. And when we put it into the kind of pillow case, the haptics or the little arms keep the optic in place. And the optic is very important because it gives you the vision. And so what we have now is the cataract, just to show patients, is very, very dense and it disperses the light to cause halos and glare. And that's often why patients come because they don't drive well at nighttime, the lights are bothering them, maybe sunlight is bothering them or they just can't physically see because there's a block in the vision. So the light doesn't hit the retina properly and it just kind of scatters and, and diffuses. So when we put an implant in, it's trying to focus most of the light right on your macula, what you see the world with. And now there are basic three types of, in, three categories of implants. So when I was a resident, there was one category of implant called the monofocal. And the monofocal meant you would choose a plane of clarity for vision, meaning patients would choose to see pretty much clear in the distance or intermediate or reading. You would not be able to get all three. You would need glasses for the other planes of vision. And when I say planes, literally like this is gonna be clear and anything in front or behind that plane is gonna be blurry. Over the years, there's been many innovations. And so as of 2021, we have three options. Still the monofocal, which is covered by insurance. And then there's another option called panoptics, which I've, you've heard me talk about before. It has these little rings on the optics, which do allow the light to hit in certain areas of the macula so it gives you more of a range of vision for distance, intermediate, and reading. It's not a guarantee you'll be glasses free, but you're less reliant on glasses in the majority of patients. More than 85, 95% of patients are less reliant on glasses, but you still may need reading glasses. The problem with these little rings 
is that in some patients, it can cause debilitating glare, very rare. I haven't had to take out a panoptics because of glare yet, but I'm sure there'll probably be a patient. Uh, I actually got consulted on a patient recently that had a panoptics and had debilitating glare. And he's like, well, the doctor told me, but I didn't know it was gonna be this bad. And if the doctor told me it was gonna be this bad, I would have never chosen it. But it's really hard to know which brain is gonna love it and which brain is gonna hate it. We don't have a way to determine that yet. But we do know that the majority of patients love the panoptics and we just have to warn them. So I tell patients, if you do a lot of nighttime driving, do not choose the panoptics because it's gonna pop, that, that glare might bother you of the panoptics. If you're home and you kind of are, you know, playing sports a little bit here and there, or you're kind of a more laid back personality, not type A, panoptics is usually patients really love that. The third option, which is newer, is called Vividy. Vividy is kind of like a monofocal, meaning there's no rings that you can see, but it allows a depth of vision, so you can see distance and intermediate, less reliant on glasses, but you will need reading glasses pretty much for sure. But the amount of halos and glare of the Vividy is equivalent to a monofocal. So monofocal in and of itself gives you still probably a little bit of halos and glare, especially if you're blue-eyed, more light is hitting through the eye than a brown-eyed patient. So you might have had light sensitivity your whole life if you were a blue-eyed patient. And after the cataract surgery, it might still continue. So Vividy in terms of halos and glare, according to the studies, is pretty close to the complaints with the monofocal of halos and glare, which tends to be like, close to very, very minimal, but not necessarily zero. So those are the three options. So a lot of it has to do with your kind of personality, your profession, what you'd use your eyes for. Now let's say you have perfect glands. Let's say your meibomian glands are perfect. You're young, you don't really have any problems, your eyeballs are normal, no history of trauma. You have all those options. If you have very severe meibomian gland atrophy, you have to understand that the quantity and quality of vision are a little bit different. In other words, the quantity of vision, you might be 20-20, and when you, do, when you cover each eye, you might be very good with your vision, but the quality of vision may be very blurry because the tear film is not working. And we know the tear film is like a pair of glasses. If you are who are listening or anybody, I tell I say this often and I obviously don't want you to do that, but if you don't blink for two or three minutes, you're gonna get completely blurry because the tear film is so crucial for quality of vision. So if you don't have that much oil, you may not want to invest, you know, two thousand dollars, which is not covered by insurance for one of these innovative implants because the quality may be hard to achieve what you want to achieve. And so patients with very severe dry eye need to know this and need to be aware that monofocal may be better. And then as you kind of just continuously work on the, the dry eye issue, you won't have felt like you, you know, wasted your money because you don't get the benefit of that new technology. So that's why the, the mybography is so important. For LASIK surgery, where we make that little flap in the cornea, the mybography is crucial. The first and most expensive, I should say not the first, but the most expensive lawsuit after LASIK surgery was against a doctor named Dr. Mark Speaker, who I know very well, taught me how to do LASIK in New York, I knew a great surgeon, but he had done LASIK on an airline pilot and the pilot achieved 20-20 vision in both eyes, but was miserable because of the halos and glare. And we don't know what his myography looked like to this day. There was no technology to see what he looked like, but I wouldn't be surprised if he looked kind of had some meibomian gland atrophy, or maybe his corneal nerves were not 
you know, perfect. There was something that he was set up to not have a good result. And it obviously led to a big, uh, big lawsuit because the pilot was not able to work again. So the more knowledge you have, the more your surgeon understands the anatomy of your eye, what the cells are doing that are hidden that we can't see, the better the outcome you're going to have. So it's very important to understand those crucial things. So for the person that's having cataract surgery or yourself or your loved one, the things you can do are number one, make sure you go to a surgeon that understands dry eye and understands the importance of the myography. And you may have to ask for it and even look at it yourself. And some surgeons are not trained yet to understand myography because it's a relatively new device. And so look, ask for myography before, before any eye surgery. And that's what, that's what I would do for myself and for my loved ones. Number two, I would love for patients to always, as you know, eat a low inflammatory diet, get really into shape, get in, you know, get your tear film working really well, do your warm compresses and blinking, make sure the cornea has no signs of dryness. If there's signs of dryness, we try to delay the surgery until it's absolutely necessary to get the tear film to help us after surgery with a, with a quality of vision and the comfort of the eye so you don't have any type of discomfort. And then we have now more data so not this number two and three. And number four is basically consider some type of procedure like thermal pulsation, whether it's lipoflow or ILUX or even intense pulse light to get the oil to pump out. So there's been a couple of papers recently that have come out. Uh, one recently published in the American Journal of Ophthalmology that showed that lipoflow before cataract surgery resulted in better outcomes. And I actually have the paper here. Uh, so it's highly recommended that it be done preoperatively, especially for those that do have dry eyes and meibomian gland dysfunction because it sets you up to have a better tear film. That tear film we know is anti-inflammatory and it has a little bit of an antibiotic component also. So those two things are really crucial to get your tear film to be kind of where you need it to be. So that's very important to think about for pre-surgery before any LASIK, cataract surgery, corneal surgery, retinal surgery, eye muscle surgery, because you want your tear film to kind of help you uh, right after the surgery, but also long-term. So these procedures are good, not just for the short-term, but for the long-term, because you need your meibomian glands until you're you know, in the grave, because we want you to not have discomfort. So key things always remember for everybody is always never to feel your eyes. You should never notice your eyes. If you feel like you're noticing your eyes, please tell somebody, tell a surgeon, tell a doctor, tell somebody that cares about dry eye, do something about it. I've talked about all those different options in terms of what you can do to kind of help with your tear film, help inflammation decrease, uh, help save the meibomian glands. And so those two paths that we always talk about to help with the symptoms, is save the meibomian glands and help with your symptoms. Those two paths are crucial before and after any procedure to kind of help you have the best outcome. So those are the key things that I hope help with understanding what you should know before the surgery, what you should do after the surgery. And if the, the symptoms are not improving, if you're really still having you know concerns and the, and the eye is still bothering you, let us know. You know, we have so much technology that really do help. With corneal nerves, it's the next generation of research. We wanna be able to regrow those corneal nerves. And how do we know you have a neuropathy or how do we know that the nerves have been cut and are not regenerating? It's really sometimes hard to tell. There's a technique called confocal microscopy 
There's only a few centers in the country that have it. Uh, there's one at Harvard, I think one of University of Maryland, Stanford I think has one, uh, Bascom Palmer has one, but these major medical centers usually have them because it's a very expensive machine, it takes a long time to do, but it measures your corneal nerves essentially. And the issue of the reason why most doctors don't have it are two. Number one, it's an expensive machine, it does take time to use, and number two, we do not have normative data yet in the database on what's normal per age, and that's going to take some time to understand that. So it doesn't necessarily change the management too much, it just helps with the understanding. So that's why that neuropathy diagnosis sometimes can be hard to understand. So what we tell patients is that if you never can get pain relief, let's say you have 10 out of 10 pain 24 hours a day and you can never get pain relief, meaning we give you anesthetic, you still have pain. You're in the hot shower, you still have pain. We try all the different treatments we're gonna, you know, I've talked about, uh, which includes autologous serum, platelet-rich plasma, core blood serum, stem cell drops, amniotic uh, membrane drops, you try all of those and you still have pain, you probably have a neuropathy. And so we know we need to keep trying some of those different options to try to help with the neuropathy. And sometimes we have to do more invasive things to get rid of that pain. And there is a way, but you gotta let us know. So those are the things that I wanted to talk about. Don't forget about these innovative options. If you know somebody that's in constant pain, we have so many different options. We've had a lot of success with the biologics, the autologous serum, which is from your own blood, the platelet-rich plasma from the patient's own blood, the cord blood serum from a donated placenta and, and cord, stem cell drops has been very helpful, amniotic membrane drops has been very helpful, uh, amniotic membrane covering the whole conjunctiva has been helping patients. So we have this technology to help the cells recover. And there's more research coming out on nerve and nerve pain. Uh, there was a paper that just came out talking about how to basically improve nerve regeneration quickly. And this was done at Johns Hopkins by Holke uh, and at all. And they recently saw that there's a shock, heat shock protein that regenerates the nerves even faster. And so they're looking into see how can we make those nerves grow faster? How can we use even maybe stem cell technology, which we do use on the corneal stem cells uh, for very severe kind of chemical burns and, and graft versus host. How can we use that knowledge to help heal surfaces even faster. So we need patients who are in constant pain or have a negative outcome after cataract surgery or LASIK or any of the eye surgeries to hang on just for a few more years. We're so close to finding and making a breakthrough. Uh, you've heard some of my research before. My research, I have an investigational research protocol because I believe we're getting really close to finding a cure for constant pain and irritation of the eye or meibomian gland atrophy, but we just need a little bit more time. I think that the secret will be in using a patient's own stem cells, combining it with core blood serum and platelet-rich plasma. That's what we're trying to investigate. I think that combination of cells together will stimulate a patient's own cells to start working and even allow new cells to be produced that help heal nerve tissue and other tissue that has been uh, d damaged or atrophying from any type of injury, whether it's surgery, whether it's aging, whether it's Accutane, whatever. We think there's a way to help, so don't give up. So I hope this message brings some hope, uh, and I hope you'll pass this on to other people and patients around the world. And if you have any suggestions for a future podcast or if you have any questions, please contact us. My blog is idoc2020 at blogspot.com. I'm at Visionary Eye Doctors in Rockville. And so feel free to contact us. I hope this was helpful. Take care.